The following is a presentation of Chris Sloan Media. Listener discretion is advised. Over 24% of the 1.9 billion square acres in America alone, the mountains that so many people call home, also play host to some of the most staggering mysteries in the world. The missing. And she said, I knew I wasn't there anymore. The murdered. All my emotions just went blank, just like, just blank. And I still live with that today. I think about that so much today as he was in that water. Strange creatures. Whatever it was that was standing up. I'm out here looking through the window now and I don't see anything. I don't want to go outside. I mean, it was a, nope, we need to get out of town. Unexplained lights and sightings. It does not look like an airplane. They come together and then they separate and they just keep doing this all the time. These stories may be strange. They may be sad. They may be odd but they are mysterious. These are the Mountain Mysteries, and now your host, Chris Sloan. We kick off the third season of the Mountain Mysteries podcast with a story of desperation and sadness. It was on December 19, 1959, that Christine and Cliff Walker and their two children were murdered at their home in Osprey, Florida. As of October of last year, 2022, the case remains unsolved. The pill of murder is difficult enough to swallow, but when it involves children, it simply becomes unforgettable and perhaps unforgivable. Authorities believe that 24-year-old Christine Welker arrived at the family's farm home around 4 o'clock that evening, Saturday, December 19, 1959. She received something that she didn't expect. She was raped, then murdered by a gunshot wound. Her husband, Cliff, who was 25 at the time, arrived home with their 3-year-old son, Jimmy, and 1-year-old daughter, Debbie. Cliff was ambushed and killed by a gunshot wound as well. Then... Jimmy and Debbie were murdered. Jimmy was shot, and Debbie was shot in addition to being drowned in the bathtub. Now, the actual cause of death is unknown, and she could have been shot while in the bathtub. News stories noted that there were gifts around the Christmas tree as the family awaited for a joyous holiday season that would never come. Physical evidence left at the scene included a bloody cowboy boot, a cellophane strip from a cool cigarette wrapper, and a fingerprint on the bathtub faucet handle. Now, a serial killer named Emmett Monroe Spencer confessed to the murders, but that confession was discredited by Sarasota County Sheriff Ross Boyer, who labeled Spencer as a pathological liar. Spencer's confession was determined to be cleverly constructed from real murders written up across newspapers and true crime novels that he enjoyed reading. Well, we fast forward to 1994 and a bartender 
in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, contacted the Sarasota County Sheriff's Office, claiming that one of her customers had boasted of killing the Walker family. But the tip was never verified. Police never identified a motive, and 587 suspects at one time or another were either some questioned or never at all. And to this day, this case remains open. In 2012, the Sarasota County Sheriff's Office began investigating possible links between the Walker family murders and Perry Smith and Richard Dick Hickok, who had been convicted and executed for the 1959 murders of the Clutter family in Halcombe, Texas. Now, the Clutter murders were the topic of Truman Capote's 1965 best-selling true crime book, In Cold Blood. While that book devoted several pages to the Walker case, it dismissed a possible connection to Hickok and Smith, asserting that the two men had an alibi for that day. But records and witness accounts collected by Kansas and Florida investigators show that several factual contradictions in Capote's account existed. In other words, maybe, just maybe, somebody didn't do their homework. I mean, we're talking about a family of four, a mother, a father, a husband, a wife, and a brother and a sister, two young children. It would merit thorough investigation. The sheriff's office admitted that Hickok and Smith had been considered suspects as far back as 1960, after killing four members of the Clutter family in Kansas, and 34 days before the Walker murders, Smith and Hickok fled to Florida in a stolen car. They were spotted at least a dozen times between Tallahassee and Miami. The pair checked into a Miami Beach motel about four hours from Osprey and checked out on the morning of the Walker murders. At the same point that day, Smith and Hickok bought items at a Sarasota department store just a few miles from the Walker home. Oh, my. One witness said later that the taller of the two men had a scratched-up face. Well, the pair was arrested in Las Vegas, Nevada, December 30, 1959, for the Clutter murders, and they were executed by hanging on the 14th of April, 1965. But a polygraph test appeared to clear them of the Walker murders, at least one expert has asserted that polygraph machines of the early 1960s were notoriously inaccurate. According to sheriff's records, the Walkers had been considering buying a 1956 Chevrolet Bel Air, the same kind of car that Smith and Hickok were driving through Florida. It's therefore believed that Smith and Hickok may have gained entry into the Walker home on the pretense of selling their car. That's entirely possible. In December of 2012, Sarasota County investigators announced that they were seeking an order to exhume Smith and Hickok's bodies from Mount Muncie Cemetery in the hopes that mitochondrial DNA extracted from their bodies could be matched to semen found in the Walker home. Hickok's and Smith's bodies were exhumed and DNA was extracted. Kansas authorities stated that they would have to process the DNA samples with active cases taking a higher priority and that results may take weeks or months. In August of 2013, the Sarasota County Sheriff's Office announced that they were unable to find a match between the DNA of either Perry Smith or Richard Hickok with the samples in the Walker family murder. Only partial DNA could be retrieved. Possibly due to degradations of the DNA samples over the decades of contamination and storage, making the outcome one of uncertainty. 
neither proving nor disproving the involvement of Smith and Hickok in this case. Consequently, investigators have stated that Smith and Hickok still remain the most viable suspects. However, based on the personal items that were stolen, Catherine Ramsland of the University of Pennsylvania finds Smith and Hickok unlikely and instead suspects that the killer knew at least one member of the Walker family. The Walker's marriage certificate, which was reported stolen, had turned up among other items given to Cliff Walker's niece by a relative back in 2013. They said the relative was later proven innocent through DNA testing. Let's go into a little more detail on this story. We know that they returned home and that they were individually murdered and then the two kids were murdered with their father, Cliff. But when Cliff returned home with Jimmy and Debbie, they were gunned down. It's thought that two-year-old Debbie was drowned in the bathtub because the killers ran out of ammunition and the little girl didn't die immediately. Now, Daniel McLeod, one of Cliff's co-workers at the ranch, discovered the horrific scene early the next morning when he stopped by to pick him up to go hunting. Investigators from the Sarasota County Sheriff's Office recovered evidence from the scene that included the victim's clothes, Christine's bloody high heels, and a fingerprint from the bathtub faucet. Now, authorities also discovered that the killers took the couple's marriage certificate. Why would that hold any value to them? They also took Christine's high school majorette uniform and Cliff's pocket knife. These are not necessarily things of monetary value, but I could see where they would certainly hold some kind of a keepsake or some kind of a personal trophy or a memory for someone. Police questioned hundreds of suspects and gave dozens of polygraph tests, but never made an arrest. Now, some of these suspects included Daniel McLeod, the man who discovered the bodies, Albert Walker, one of Cliff's cousins, and a neighbor who made unwanted advances on Christine. Even a serial killer named Emmett Monroe confessed to the crime, but police believed he was lying through and through, so they didn't find anything credible about that confession. So, time marches on like it does. For decades, investigators believed that Richard Hickok and Perry Smith were the most promising suspects. Hickok and Smith slaughtered the Clutter family November 15, 1959 in Holcomb, like we told you about. That was in Kansas, about 34 days before the Walker family homicide. The Clutter murders and subsequent investigation were documented in Capote's novel In Cold Blood. Sarasota County Sheriff's investigators thought that Richard Hickok and Perry Smith could have perpetrated the Walker slaying because the ruthless killers were also known to have been in Florida during that time, like we told you. But probing a little deeper, we find that witnesses spotted them throughout the state between Tallahassee and Miami. They checked into a hotel in Miami Beach. Now, that was only a few hours from where the Walker family lived. That same day, Hickok and Smith were seen at a department store. A witness even noticed one had scratches on their face. According to the investigator's theory, Hickok and Smith were able to gain access to the Walker home by pretending that they wanted to sell that car, that 56 Bel Air. Capote explored his theory in cold blood, but doubted it because, according to his research, the Hickok and Smith team had an alibi for the time of the crime. It wasn't just that. But they were questioned about the Walker killings, but... They also passed a polygraph. The other side of that coin, like we said, was the 1960s polygraph materials and machines were known to be notoriously unreliable. 
On December 18, 2012, about 53 years after the family was murdered, agents from the Kansas Bureau of Investigation, or KBI, dug up those graves, and they didn't find anything conclusive that would certainly link the killing duo to the Walker family murder. According to yet another theory, the murderers knew the Walkers. Catherine Ramsland, professor of forensic psychology at DeSales University in Pennsylvania, studied the case and maintains that whoever killed the family knew them. Uh, because of the personal items being taken from the home, like we mentioned earlier, the majorette suit and uh, pocket knife. But as of right now, there currently are no other suspects and this murder remains unsolved. It is the story of Heaven's Gate. NBC7's Rory Devine takes a look back at what was truly an awful day. The fascination of what happened at Heaven's Gate continues today. In fact, here at the Sheriff's Museum in Old Town, there is a replica display of what happened that day 25 years ago, a day that began with an anonymous tip for a welfare check. This is regarding a mass suicide, and I can give you the address. The address was of a mansion in Rancho Santa Fe. It was late in the day, March 26, 1997, during a period when the Hale-Bopp comet could be seen in the night sky. As I'm approaching uh, the area, I see a glow in the distance, and I thought, well, that's odd. Captain Don Crist was the public information officer for the Sheriff's Department at the time. I come over a hill, and every news truck in the world is already there. A mass suicide inside the mansion. Too many bodies to count at first. In the end, 39 people dead. Each had taken poison. Each was dressed in a jogging suit, wearing black Nike running shoes, and covered with a purple shroud. A website described the belief they would be transported in the back of a passing comet to a better place. And we do, in all honesty, hate this world. Marshall Applewhite, also known as Doe, was the leader. They're about to leave, and they're excited about leaving. Yes, I knew all of many of those people, most of them intimately, and loved them dearly, had a lot of respect for them. I uh, was sad for their families. Ananda Johnson is a former member who said she, quote, signed on for the program for a journey of transformation at the age of 19. She left the program after 17 years several years before the suicides. I left when they started talking about different ways of making transition and uh, different willingness, uh, different le levels of willingness to do whatever it takes to make transition into the next level. See, it says Heaven's Gate away team. And that's exactly what that means to us. The next level of existence, that is. In all, 21 women and 18 men between the ages of 26 and 72 died. I can hardly wait, and I'm ready to go. And no way would Gail have taken her own life if she wasn't in that state, in a brainwashed state. I felt a lot of hurt over the years. Leaving behind incredulous family members, a stunned community and world. We felt, well, you could describe this all you want, but Actually, picture's worth a thousand words, and when people saw that, they they believed what we were telling them. Generally reluctant to release evidence until after the investigation is over, the Sheriff's Department made the controversial decision to release video the day after the bodies were found, wanting to calm fears in the neighborhood that this was the work of a mass murderer. Releasing the video in that big giant room in Bing Crosby Hall, you could hear a pin drop. 
it was it was pretty amazing. I was watching it and it was dead silence and there were hundreds of people in there. I just started trembling and went back to my car, drove home and turned on the news and it was like, oh my God, they did it. Johnson was hiking with friends the day she heard about the suicides. Don Christ heard when he got a call from a reporter. When she told me, I said, that just, that doesn't seem possible. I mean, it just, you know, it's one of those things that you don't believe when you first hear it. And uh, then within seconds, like I said, my pager back, that's how old it is. My pager filled up. 25 years later, and still, nothing makes any more sense now than it did back then. For me, this is the only logical next step. And it's simply time to move on. The mansion is no longer there. It was demolished, and even the street name was changed. But what happened there 25 years ago, so horrible and bizarre, hard to forget. Around three decades later, and it's still on people's minds. We bring you that because we wanted to remind you of the dangers of cults. Always, always listen to family members. Listen to people that care about you. I've never heard of a cult yet like this that gives a damn about anything but themselves. And this Marshall White, two words, psychopathic bastard. They come to mind. The Mountain Mysteries is back. If you can, support us on Patreon. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday night for the gatherings at 9.05 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll be bringing you stories bi-weekly on the Mountain Mysteries, one, two, maybe even three at a time and more. And of course, on the gatherings, you'll learn more. And of course, don't forget the Mountain Mysteries is coming to your screen soon with documentaries. And if you would like to be a part of that, Simply send us an email to themountainmysteries at gmail.com. That's themountainmysteries at gmail.com. We'll get in touch with you, and if your story fits what we need and what we want and what we want to pass along to other people, we'll be happy to come and film and talk to you or talk to you by phone. Either way, The Mountain Mysteries. Stay mysterious. I'm Chris Lone, wishing you the very best. If you enjoy The Mountain Mysteries, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That helps us so much. You can also help support The Mountain Mysteries by visiting our sponsors, whose links are below, or by donating at Patreon or the PayPal link shown in the notes. Patreon subscribers will receive early commercial-free episodes and more.